Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study coming to you from the studios of the Rick and Bubba Show. I'm Rick, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show. That's my day job, uh, but also director for themanchurch.com. And uh, we started this Bible study as just a, a men's Bible study at the local church about a decade ago. Uh, and uh, and we did this as part of a, a strategy that we were working in our local church on reaching and discipling men, of course, bringing that strange concept right out of Scripture. Uh, and uh, and we noticed pretty quick that uh, you know trying to come up with what we were going to teach net, next was kind of burdensome to some of the guys that were maybe teaching Bible studies for the first time. And so we started thinking about what could we do to, to make that process even simpler for churches that want men to be you know uh, being reached and then being discipled. So that's when themanchurch.com was born uh, in March of 2020. Uh, and uh, at that time, uh, we launched our very first 40-week curriculum that uh, you can use in your small groups uh, for, for men. And, of course, we have services where we send out speakers and teachers to challenge the men. But in all fairness, uh, the high challenge part of men's, disciples, uh, men's strategy has been around for a long time, and it's actually been done really well. But we certainly know that's part of it, and that also is right out of Scripture when Moses was told uh, twice by God, three times a year, bring me the men. So there is a biblical precedent that men gather uh, uh, with each other and hear uh, what God is calling us to do with that headship that he's placed on every man. Men and women are equal, uh, but they are beautifully distinct, and they are not the same. And, uh, and there's an influence that God gave to men uh, that cannot be duplicated uh, by anyone but men. And so what we figure, well, if that's the case, then the men are either a negative influence, they're a detriment to society, to the church, and to their homes, or they could be a blessing. They could be, uh, you know, uh, uh, something something wonderful. Uh, so the influence can't be turned off. So that's where we started uh, a game plan to reach and disciple, which all studies have shown and Scripture tells us are the most influential people in your society, in your church, and in your home. And that is the man. So that's kind of how it was all born. If you go to themanchurch.com, you'll see we now have uh, four of the 40-week curricula and uh, on various topics. Uh, we have a fifth one that we're about to start working on. Adler and, I are, uh, Adler and I are getting our plan to get started on that here in a couple of weeks uh, that will be coming out next year. Uh, there's also individual resources there for men to have in their own uh, quiet time together. We have 40-day devotionals. We have 31-day devotionals. You can find those. We have authors that we trust and believe in that have also written uh, good individual resources. All that's there. And also part of our plan is the high challenge. We send speakers out and teachers when men gather together in worship services or events. And we have some of those. If you want to go to themanchurch.com and look under events, I want you to know that Crestview, Florida, you got a couple of our guys coming. Uh, one of them on July 22nd, Andrew Varvudis. That'll be a breakfast at First Baptist Church Crestview. He'll be there for the next gathering and then put those men back into the curriculum in the small groups. On the 25th, the entire association of churches uh, there in Linden, Alabama, are going to hear from uh, Rich Wingo from our team. We'll also have a pastor there that has been doing uh, the men's discipleship strategy. He'll tell the other pastors how it's worked for him and his church, and uh, you can be part of that on July the 25th. On July the 28th, Crestview, Florida again, but this church is just getting started. Emmanuel Baptist Church is kicking it off. Uh, Blake Prime for our team will be bringing the message there and plugging men into the curriculum. I'll be in Austin, Texas. I'll be speaking at City Reach Church. Uh, they're gonna, they've already gotten two of our, our curriculum, and, uh, and they're going to have uh, two different sets that you can plug into. I'll be there as part of their event coming up. they got all kinds of stuff planned for the men. We're going to be doing all kinds of stuff together. I saw Axe throw 
following and know that I'm in. So I'll be bringing the message that night uh, in Austin, Texas. And then on August 6th, Starkville, Mississippi, First Baptist Church, Starkville, Scott Garoski will be there doing their man church and plugging them into the small groups. There's others, but those are the ones that are coming up in the next few weeks. If you want to find out uh, where there's one near you, just go to themanchurch.com, look under events. If you want to see our resources and our strategy, that's all there too. Let's open up in a word of prayer. We'll be today in the Revelation chapter 15. Lord, thank you for today. What an opportunity we have to unpack your holy word today. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to 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 prepare our hearts to hear what you have to say, and Lord, to continue to help me, uh, the uh, the flawed teacher, uh, teach this perfectly through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Uh, may we glean from it what you intend. We we say a special prayer today uh, for Dallas. This has been a big part of our our gathering. Uh, he is such an influence uh, on all of us here, uh, and uh, and his uh, surgery to remove part of his lung that just took place. Uh, he is recovering, Lord, as you know. Thank you for the success of the surgery, and I pray that you continue to heal him and get him back on his feet where he can join us here in person. And thank you for the influence that he's already been to the men of this group. Uh, we pray these things, Lord, in your holy name. Amen. Uh, yeah, Dallas, uh, you know, who usually is in here. Let me tell you, if you want to know everything about Dallas, sometimes I'll tell people, you know, about my dad. This will sum up him. I'll say the same thing about Dallas. So I've lost a, a little weight since December. Dallas is 83 years old, and you know what his advice to me is standing right over here at the end of, of, of every Bible study since I've lost the weight. All right, you've done a good job, son. Now it's time to bulk up. And he's sitting there, you know, 83 years old. He is a stout man. Uh, I, you know, of all the things an 83-year-old man has ever told me, it's time to bulk up was never one of them. Dallas was the first one to ever do that at 83. So thank you, Dallas. We love you, and we look forward to you being back with us. All right, so if you have um, uh, your Bible, and I hope you do since this is a Bible study, um, I want you to look at Matthew 10. Let's look at Matthew 10. Matthew 10, uh, verse 28, is going to kind of launch us into uh, this part of the Revelation today. This is Jesus that that, that is talking about this topic you've heard us mention on the show many times uh, and also in this Bible study, and that is the society in which we now live, it appears that we are afraid of everything that we should not be afraid of, but we have no fear of what we should be afraid of. Uh, And Jesus talked about this in, in Matthew chapter 10, And he talked about this in verse 28, and uh, that's what we're going to see here today in the revelation of what we really should fear. Uh, And here's what Jesus said. He said, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He said, I got news for you. Don't be worried about these people that might be able to to kill your body. Because if you're redeemed, they can't take your soul. I think I would spend more time. This is Jesus, God incarnate in human form, saying, if you want something to fear, fear me. Fear my Father. Uh, Because he can actually destroy your body and your soul and put you in hell. He said, that's really where your fear should be. Uh, And and we see this. True fear is what God's going to do uh, as far as his wrath and his fury in the future. And, and here's what we have to know when we jump into Revelation 15 today, because, you know, the time of grace is over, uh, and we're, we're now going to see God set everything right, and, and, and we see the glorified Jesus. This is something—listen to me, man, this is important, and listen to me, all of you that are watching and listening. I want us to get out of our mind that this is something 
that is way far off. And yeah, I hear about this all the time. But you know, remember we said what one, one of Satan's greatest ploys. I need to really think about this, but just not today. Let me be clear with everybody in this room: this futuristic event that we're going to read about in the Revelation is just on the horizon of time. It's on the horizon. Now, I don't pretend to know the day, the hour, because Jesus told me no man does, so I certainly don't. But I can certainly uh, do what he told us to do and see the birth pains. This is on the horizon. Will we be people who are alive when this happens? I don't know. Uh, But I do know that one or two things is going to happen, and we're closer today than we have ever been. Tick, tick, tick. And that is I'm closer to my earthly death when I will stand before Jesus or I'm closer to his return, I'm closer right now to those two things, one of those two, than I have ever been. Now, see, that's true. So don't, don't let Satan get in your head and keep saying about, oh, we got, we'll, 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 yeah, you need to deal with all that, but you need to worry about that later. What are we saying here? You can just not today yourself right into hell. Today is always the day and to assess where you are. So warnings of the coming of the day of the Lord – uh, all the historical day of the Lord judgments were previews of the last and most terrible day of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah was telling us about this day of the Lord, and we'll read others who, who also. If you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah, and I want you to go to chapter 13, and we're going to go to verse 6. Here's the prophet Isaiah looking to the day that we're about to see in the Revelation Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble, and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. So what is Isaiah telling us the Lord is doing? He's removing all the unregenerated, unrepented people from the earth. In order for him to have a new heaven and a new earth, everybody who opposes him must go whether that be spiritual with Satan and his demons or whether that be human. And that's the people who refused, have refused to repent. And I don't think any of us will find God being unreasonable on how gracious he has been. Ezekiel chapter 30, uh, you don't have to turn to this, I'll just tell you. Ezekiel 30 verse 3, he referred to it as a time of doom for the nations. Joel in chapter 1 uh, verse 15 says, Alas for the day. For the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Amos chapter 4, verse 12, the prophet says, Prepare to meet your God. Zephaniah chapter 1, 14 through 18, he again says for us to prepare for the time of doom that is coming. Job warned us in chapter 21, verse 30, The wicked is reserved For the day of calamity, they will be led forth at the day of fury. So it's not like we have not been warned. Uh, And and we've been warned that it's not going to be anything mild. I remember 
I use this example. We were teaching Romans chapter one in uh, in our Sunday school class this past Sunday, and one of the things that I mentioned about these warnings is, you know, it's one thing for me to tell you guys, like say, there's a door for those of you that are listening and you can't see. There's a door to to my right, okay, to to your left if you're watching, and, and the men's left, my right. So if I were to tell the guys, hey, I got some things y'all need to know, and I've got about uh, eleven other people that's going to come in here and tell you the same thing. If you come out this door right here, turn right. Do not keep going straight. And and if somebody says, well, what's going to happen? Is I said, because you might trip. Okay, well, we need to be somewhat cautious about that. But what if I and about 11 other people says, let me tell you something. When you go out this door, if you don't turn right, you're going to die. If you keep going straight, you're going you're gonna to be burned and incinerated by a fire of God. Are you a little more focused on making sure you get that turn right? Say, uh, because there's a lot riding on it. So to be unrepentant and to die or to be unrepentant and to be here on the day of the Lord is not a mild miss. It's a really, really, really big deal. And so you would think that would motivate us to be doing what Jesus told us to do, to be disciples and make disciples. You would you think we'd be motivated by the fact that if someone does not repent, and they are not redeemed and regenerated by Jesus Christ and justified, what awaits them is something that we really wouldn't wish on anybody. And you know what's weird, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody, because it's a, it's a more, much more awkward conversation? I find myself doing a better job with strangers than I do with my own family and my own friends. The people I claim to love, I, I, I pay attention to the least on this topic. It's the people that I don't know that I'm really, I'll come right up to you and start talking to you about Jesus immediately. You get into family and close friends, and, and for some reason, the people that we claim to care about the most are the ones that get the least amount of discipling. I don't know why that is, but I, I guess it's because these people know our flaws so much, so it makes it a little more, a little more difficult. That, that makes sense. But I think we need to kind of overcome that discomfort since it's something this important. Uh, so let's jump right into it. Uh, let's look at two. Uh, uh, we're only going to do the first eight verses today. Um, that's all there is in 15 is eight verses, I mean. Uh, he said, so here's what John says. Then I saw another sign. Remember, this is always John saying something new is about to happen. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, uh, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. So John looks and he says, the scene is in heaven. He makes sure we know that. He's not, on, he's not seeing this on earth. He sees it in heaven. And, and this is going to anticipate the bold judgments, B-O-W-L, because I know I'm from Calhoun County, so I say things that don't sound like what they really are. Great and amazing, he, he says that. Now, why would he say great and amazing? He wants us to know the importance of this sign because he says it will contain the final outpouring of God's wrath. This is great and amazing. It's not going to get any worse than what's about to happen because this is it. He doesn't have anything beyond this. This is this is what's going to end it once and for all. And he says this is a great and amazing thing that I see. And so the final outpouring of God's wrath and the most severe of God's wrath is about to be poured out on the wicked, unrepented sinners that are still left on earth. What is the sign? Seven angels with seven plagues. We know this is completion. Completion. The word here that we're translating plague 
into English. The original Greek really means, I see these seven angels with seven blows that will wound people. It's almost like he sees these plagues as a weapon that will wound and destroy everybody that it's poured out on. Uh, And this is not really disease or epidemics or things like that. You need to get in your mind the Greek word that's used here. John says these are crushing blows that they have, and they got seven of them. These will be blows to the earth that, that will strike with killing force. It's not a mild thing that he's seeing. Seven means, of course, we know that. The last, that's God's number of completion. It's his perfect number. It is finished with seven. And this also means it will be the worst uh, because uh, uh, the wrath of God is going to be finished. Now, the fact that they are calling it the last, these angels are letting John know this is the last, means, important, listen, everything prior, trumpets and seals that we've already been through, they were also God's wrath. We have some people incorrectly that are saying that the first part of the tribulation uh, will, will, you know, could possibly be going on now. Hogwash. Total hogwash. And the reason why is when they say that this is the last of what he's doing, that means everything he's done before is also part of the wrath of the tribulation. So we, we, I had a guy call the show, uh, was it yesterday? Rick, do you believe that the Euphrates, uh, they said it's drying up. It, isn't that the sixth seal? No, because we haven't had the first five. The Euphrates might just dry up for any reason, but it, 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 this, we're not in the tribulation. So that's not, it, you know, it, it could be a birth pain. It could be a foreshadowing. But the sixth seal is not going on right now. That, that, it's not. You know why? We would know. Trust me. It, it, we, we won't be wondering about it, okay? So it, are, are we in the birth pangs? Yeah. But are we in it? We're not in it. And, and and so that means everything that we've already studied is also part of God's wrath, and his wrath extends throughout the tribulation, not just in some of it. It does get more severe, but it's not – There's not. it's all his God, God's wrath, all – all throughout the tribulation, the first three and a half and the second three and a half. The second three and a half are just worse. It's not just the end. It also indicates these are chronological order and sequence. It also means that too. Boom, 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 boom. It's all. It'll all. It, they don't get out of order, and you don't pull one ahead of the other. You know, God's a God of order. We've talked about that, which is why Satan loves chaos. And he says God's wrath. This is the word, uh, the Greek word thumos. Uh, it, let me tell you what this means. This means rage. It means passionate outburst of anger that, that that must be handed down on all unforgiven sin. This is something that I notice people can't sometimes wrap their mind around. They get this notion that somehow God can change his character. He can't. Why why did why did, look, these universalists, which I mean they are from the pits of hell. These universalists, how do they explain how do they explain the slaughter of Jesus on the cross? How do they explain that? If God could just say everybody's forgiven and everybody's good, why did he put his son through that? That that was unnecessary. Don't let universalists how can we we can't let them not not address that. So you're telling me that God the Father just slaughtered his own son, took on human flesh, slaughtered himself on the cross, the son of the Trinity. But really, that wasn't necessary. He could have just changed his character and said, y'all are all good with me. 
don't need the blood sacrifice, don't need the lamb, don't need the perfect lamb. You see how flawed that is? Who do you think that comes from telling everybody y'all are okay? Satan himself. You better believe that. A universalist is speaking Satan. And we, and we, and we need to quit kind of tiptoeing around that because it's going to cause people to, to, to face the wrath of God because they've been lied to. We have been warned by Jesus. We have been warned by the disciples. We have been warned by the apostles of what? False teachers, false teachers, false teachers. Watch them. Peter's last letter. He even says, y'all are not going to see me much longer because it's been revealed to me that I won't see the return of Christ. I know I'm going to be martyred. Jesus told me about this. And the last thing I want to tell y'all is, watch out for false teachers. Second Peter. It's the last thing I got to say to you. So we must be able to, in our minds, go, that can't be right because of what I know about Scripture. Hey, we got a bunch right now that's writing their own version of the Bible. Now, China's doing it, but they're a communist country, so they, they're going to rewrite the Bible and, and, and hand it out to their people. Thank the Lord there's enough church there that will be able to undermine that. But don't think it's just there. I just saw a guy there. There's a new – watch his Passion Bible. I, just, I saw the cat that put that together. He said Jesus walked in his room and breathed on him and started giving him downloads. I, I'd watch out for that. Okay, uh, it has no standing. Doesn't tell what what his credentials are, uh, but but you know any watch watch these modern day prophets. Be careful of these new revelation people. I got a revelation. Now we got the revelation. We're studying it right now. I, I, now when I didn't when I was a cultural Christian, did I call it revelations with an S? I did, but it's not. It's revelation. This is it. Okay, so so be real leery of these. I got a new revelation, people. They've they've started cults for a long time, and they always will. Be real careful of somebody that says, "Hey, I think I've got a a new interpretation of the Bible that was breathed on me by Jesus, who walked into my room and He's giving me downloads. And when He gives me the rest of the downloads, I'll give you the rest of it. We already got it. We don't need that. Don't nobody else have to get downloads from Jesus. We we, we we've already got them right here. Okay, so be leery of this kind of stuff. False teachers, false doctrine. It's prominent. It always has been. It always will be. And it'll increase, according to Jesus, as we get closer to his return. Okay? So be aware of that. So now we're going to see the, the motives that are revealed uh, uh, on, on why this is taking place. Number one, I just mentioned, the vengeance of God. There's nothing we can do about it. He's holy. Sin is not. He cannot have sin in his presence. He can't. That's why we have to be made fully righteous, and we're made fully righteous by Jesus. And then he presents us as acceptable to God the Father because we're bathed in his righteousness. He doesn't make us kind of righteous. He doesn't make us somewhat righteous. He makes us fully righteous. But only he can do it through our repentance and leaving faith in ourselves and placing ourselves under his authority and confessing, he's my Lord. I belong to him. He bought me on the cross, okay? And it will cost me my sin. So vengeance is the first one. Look at verse 2. And I saw what happened. I'm sorry. I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass. Now, remember, appeared to be a sea, uh, mingled with fire. And also those who had uh, conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of the glass with harps, of God in their hands. So I see a sea uh, mixed with fire. It looked like it's mixed with fire. Now, this is not 
the sea itself. This is, do you remember this? Does anybody remember? Go back to your notes and look at the Revelation chapter 4, verse 6. Remember the throne room? Remember what John saw? Do you remember this? What John is seeing again is this transparent crystal-like platform he saw around the throne of God. This is before God. It's that throne. It's shimmering. It's glistening like a tranquil sea lit by the sun. As a matter of fact, if you want to jot this down, Moses, when he encountered God, when, when he was walked into the presence of God uh, in, in uh, Exodus 24, verse 10, he saw the same thing. Listen to what he said. He said, under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Ezekiel uh, chapter 1, verse 22, in his vision, something like an expanse, like the awesome gleam of crystal, but it's now mixed with fire. What is the fire? Judgment. That, judgment, that's what it is. Judgment is about to be poured out. What did uh, the writer of Hebrews say? We've quoted this a lot during this part of the Revelation in chapter 10, verse 27. Our God is a consuming fire. That's from Hebrews. Uh, fire equals judgment. You don't believe that? Then write the, there's a lot of verses. You ready to cross-reference? Everybody ready? Here we go. Numbers 11.1, Numbers 16.35, Deuteronomy 9.3, the Psalms 50, verse 3, Psalm 97, verse 3, Isaiah 66.15, 2 Thessalonians 1.7-9, and of course the letter I just mentioned, 2 Peter in that chapter 3, verse 7, when Peter makes the wonderful statement, that, hey, this thing's going to burn. Remember what I said. I would not be at all concerned about man-made global warming. This place is going to burn, but God has saved that for himself. Okay? It's going to burn. And I love Peter's comment after he describes how this consuming fire would just... He said, you would think, since we know that, we would live lives that were godly and holy if we really believe it, that this is coming. So anyway, those who uh, had been victorious, look, he describes them here over the beast. Remember, we talked about that. There's going to be people that repent during the, the tribulation, and they will not take the mark of the beast. It will cost them their lives, okay, and, uh, but they'll be right with God. Those that were redeemed during the tribulation because of their undying faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, notice he says they did not receive the name or the number, uh, of the beast, and they were martyred. Notice he says they're holding harps of God. Harps throughout Scripture always is associated with praise. So they're praising the God that redeemed them, even though on earth they were martyred. Uh, the, the, the saints being in the vision shows that God's vengeance is one of the motives. Why? Because these saints have prayed for it. When will, you, when will you punish these people? When will you hand out your vengeance? When will we, we be, uh, when, when will you vindicate us? And God says, remember he said, just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer, where they don't have to wait anymore. So his motivation is definitely vengeance. Jesus warned us about this. Here's you some cross-references, okay? Um, Matthew 18, 6 through 10, Jesus warned about this. And, of course, Paul instructs us about this 
in Romans 12, mighty chapter of Romans, in the mighty book of Romans, in verse 19. So vengeance was definitely one of the motivations. We see that. What's, what's the other one? I, what I just mentioned. Another motivation, the character of God. He's holy. He's holy. And that's who he is, and there's no changing that. Uh, so let's look at verses 3 through 4. And they sing the song of Moses, underline that, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Now, when, when this is an anthem that is sung about God, and he says the anthem theme is basically, we will now sing of God's holy, righteous character, which demands that he judge sinners. This is who he is. This is why this has to happen. That's why repentance is always required. One of these things we got to watch about getting away from. I, I hear sometimes a lot of messages out there, and there's not a lot of talk about repentance. Uh, well, if we don't talk about repentance, then we, then, then there, there there's problems. You know, it, it's that this is that big man upstairs, hippie Jesus stuff. Uh, be careful with all that. I mean, he is holy, which requires repentance. Jesus himself said in uh, in Luke 13, repent or perish. Because if you remember, the, the religious leaders were asking Jesus if the Gentiles needed to repent. And he said, no, everybody needs to repent. All of you do. Repent or perish. Acts chapter 2, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the first time Peter ever gets it right, says the people's hearts were cut and they cried out to Peter, what are we supposed to do? And what did he say? Repent. Repent. And we even know how many people repented and how many were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. We know that number. Uh, I know some people, for some reason, it's become mod to kind of talk that down, but I don't apologize for a time of response since the Bible didn't. Uh, a presentation of the gospel demands a response according to Scripture. Now, am I in charge of who's truly justified and who's not, who's sincere, who's not? I don't know. God knows, and that person knows. But I certainly don't go, you know, some people come forward and they're not really, they don't really know what they're doing. Well, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is not to deny a response because sometimes people come down and they go off and live like an idiot. That's not a reason to stop having a response because of the people who truly are redeemed and truly are coming and repenting and truly are confessing Jesus is Lord. So we're going to deny them, deny them that opportunity and send them home in confusion because some people aren't sincere? Not me. Not me. Uh, I, I, I'd much rather the Lord say, well, you know that time of response wasn't necessary as opposed to, I thought I told you to do a time of response. Why didn't you do one? If it wasn't necessary, then fine. I said, okay, Lord, I, I was going to make sure. But I don't want to stand up there and go, why did you never let people respond to me? Well, I thought you were in charge of all that. I think I had. No, but didn't I show you examples of what you do? Yeah, you did, Lord. Well, you know, this one guy walked out. He was all confused, didn't know what went on, drove his car home. Nobody ever talked to him. So uh, so anyway, you know, this is like taking babies and, and just throwing them out in the field, walking off and leaving them. We wouldn't do that. Uh, maybe the person needs to talk to somebody. 
Uh, so anyway, so so he will judge that. The Song of Moses. Now I know when you start thinking about this, this is not a new concept. Uh, you you see this throughout Scripture. As a matter of fact, if you want to go and read some of them, there's there's Songs of Moses in the Old Testament. Exodus 15 is a good one, which kind of ties to this. Uh, and and you also have a Deuteronomy 32. That's another one. Uh, you'll find Numbers 21, 17, 18. And uh, and and when you when you go to these songs that they call the Song of Moses, the one in Deuteronomy 32 is at the end of Moses' life, and they're they're actually doing a song of remembrance and remembering how God used him and and how he was a man who, man, Scripture says that Moses talked to God face to face, and it didn't mean literally because God showed him that if he looked him right in the face without some sort of covering, he would die, and he and he let his presence come by him. But it said that God talked to Moses, the talking part, the way we would talk to each other. Can you imagine? So they're they're praising God and thanking him for, for what he did through Moses. The one that this is really tied to even more, though, is really the one in Exodus 15, because the one in Exodus 15, they're singing to remember God delivering them from the bondage of Egypt, slavery. Right here, what are we singing about? Being delivered from the bondage of sin. Being delivered from the bondage of sin and singing about God's holy character. And, of course, we know that also this is not just a song of Moses this time. It's also the Lamb, and we know who the Lamb is. And we talked about that back in Revelation 5. That's Jesus Christ. And you'll go see an image very similar in the Revelation 5, 18 through 14. And because why? The reason why they're using a song of Moses and then they're, they're, they're pointing to the Lamb is what are they saying? They're even saying it in this song. Here's the old new covenant being sung in this song. Moses delivered us from the bondage of Egypt. Jesus delivered us from the bondage of sin. Somebody say amen. That's worth an, that's worth an amen. That's worth singing about, isn't it? And, of course, it, 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 the song continues and continues to feature the character of God in all of its features. Verses 5 through 8. Another motivation for God to hand out his, his final wrath on unrepentant sing, uh, sinners, and that is this has been his plan. So his vengeance was a motivation. His character was a motivation. His plan is a motivation. This, is what, this was his plan of redemption all along. This is how he was going to get us back to what he intended in the beginning, right? The new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. This is something he was always going to do once we fail and so let's read verses 5 through 8. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, uh, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures, they're back in the game again, gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, which lives who lives forever and ever, and the sanctuary was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one can enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So it's on. So the seven angels, uh, he said, after this I looked. I mean, it's a new, a new visual. After this I looked. Something is drawing John away from, from the singing saints that he just told us about, singing the song of Moses and the Lamb, something gets his attention and pulls him away from that. You ever had that happen? 
You ever been looking at something and something over here pulls you? Pulls you oh, do you see what's going on over here? It pulls his attention away. And what pulls him away from the singing saints is the bowl judgments. He notices they're coming out. They're coming out of from in the presence of God. They're coming out. And now one of the four creatures is saying, here's your bowl. Here's yours. Here's yours. And every one of the bowls is full of what? God's wrath. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, let this cup pass. Is there another way to redeem these people without the Son having to take the cup of your holy wrath and it be poured out on me? And then when he heard nothing new in the plan, he said, not my will be done, but your will be done. And then how did he teach us to pray? Before he ever got there, before he ever ended up in that garden, how did he tell us to pray? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, Lord God, not mine. You know that my wife talking about that in the moment when we were praying for our youngest son to survive drowning in our pool. And Sherry, you know, Romans chapter 8, where it says, the Holy Spirit in the redeemed is so powerful that even when our prayers are not what they're supposed to be, the Holy Spirit sometimes in, in groans that we can't even understand will correct our prayer and make sure we're praying correctly. My wife described the moment that she was praying for our son to live, and she said, all of a sudden I heard myself say something that I could not say, and she said, I heard it audibly coming out of my own mouth, not my will be done, Lord, but your will be done. She said, I could not pray that. So the Holy Spirit prayed it for her. And when you see what Jesus had to endure, and Sherry learned that from him, we always see that, and I'm going to repeat this as many times as I have to, because this thing of taking sin lightly is something we have not ever, ever been guilty of in this room, and I hope we never are. If you don't believe it, look at the stuff that sin that people have done to you and sins you've done to others, the things it's caused, even if you've been forgiven and redeemed. And I don't want Satan holding that against you the rest of your life, but I do want us to learn the lesson that sin always matters. And so when you see the slaughter of the son on that cross, praise God he's not there anymore. Praise God he is glorified. Praise God he's returned to his proper place. Thank you, Jesus. But when we see the brutality of all that he endured because of our sin, yes, we see God's grace. Yes, we see God's love. Yes, we see that. But you know what else we see? How serious God takes sin. Please don't miss that point. I don't ever want us to take our sin lightly. And so what you see now is these bold judgments are getting ready. The angels have come from where? Those of you that have learned about the temples of the Old Testament, there was a place called what? The Holy of Holies. And couldn't just anybody go there. I love the fact that when they used to send in one of the high priests to go into the Holy of Holies, they'd tie a rope around him. Because they didn't know if God was going to kill him. If God killed him, they'd just pull his body back out of there. You know what? How about when you tie that rope and you're like, man, I hope I am in good standing here. <laughs> and, uh, and so... Uh, uh, so, so the Holy of Holies, these seven angels are coming out of this place 
and, and they have the final deadly judgments to be poured out on the world. They're clothed in linen, clean and bright. What do you think that represents? Holiness, purity. You know what this means. Don't forget the message that God is sending through his revelation. Nobody questions that I and I alone have the authority to hand out this judgment. I can hand out the wrath, and what I do is right. And this is the thing we've talked about. I know it's hard. This is a hard truth coming up, just, and I got you. We all, I got, all got people I love that I'm praying for that aren't there yet. They're, 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 they are rejecting God, and, and I want so bad to do it for them, but you can't. But I will tell you this, because of God's perfect character, you still got that flesh on you. I do too. So we're flawed sometimes in the things we see and think. When we are glorified, when that wonderful day comes and this fight with the sin nature is finally over, anybody ready for that? When that happens and we are so part of God and we see him in his perfection and we do pray that the people that we love and we care about repent. We do, we do, we do. But if you think that when we get to that place that somehow your eternity is going to be hampered by those people that you knew that rejected him, you're incorrect. When you experience who he really is, you will stand against anybody who opposes him, no matter who they are. And he will wipe away the tears of our concern, and we'll never be burdened with that again. We will consider them enemies of God. I know that's hard to fathom, but it's absolutely going to happen. Okay? So they are clothed in holiness and purity. Around their chest, these golden sashes, this is God's glory. This is God's majesty. So they're coming out representing the character of God. Why is that important? They're about to pour out wrath. And you know what they're saying is, we're wearing the resume. He's worthy. He has warned, and he has warned, and he has warned, and he has been gracious, and he's been gracious, and he's been merciful, and he's been loving, and he's offered opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for you to repent. And those of you who haven't, you deserve what we have. And you can't hold this against God. We wear his resume. So they now receive the means by which they will dump God's judgment. One of the four living creatures gave them the bowls uh, full of God's wrath. Uh, and, 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 and the word here, the, the Greek word for the bowl here, I, I want you to picture this because I, I actually had a different picture. Because you know I'm I'm a good old boy and I remember eating chili out of bowls. This these, this word is not a deep bowl. I don't want you to see that. They're actually kind of more shallow saucers, is what they're talking about. It it just it'll it, it'll flip over and pour out, meaning it won't dribble. Everybody with me? You know how you can take a deep bowl and you can kind of dribble it out. They they're going to go. There's all of it. It's going to be quick. It's going to come with a devastating blow. It won't be sprinkled. It won't be dribbled. Okay? So uh, so this this is not going to be a gradual pour. 
if you remember, these bowls were part of the temple furnishings that were associated with sacrifices, and those who refuse the cup of salvation will be drowned by the judgments poured from these bowls of wrath. See, they had a cup of salvation, and they pushed it back. So if you push back the cup of salvation, you get a bowl of wrath. That's important. All this smoke that John's seeing, what is all this about? We know this. We've been studying this quite a while. That's the glory of God. That's his power. That, that's his wrath. This glory cloud will remain in the uh, heavenly temple until the earth is completely purged, cleansed, and prepare for the king and his kingdom. So the smoke remains. That's God's power, God's wrath. There's his majesty. All that has to stay there. And then when his wrath is completely finished, the smoke will dissipate. And the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords says, here's your throne. All opposition is gone now. For right now. Now we know that when we get to the final battle, for some reason there's one last uprising that comes. But, uh, and there's many, a lot of speculation about that. I think the one that probably holds up the best is this must be the children of those who reproduce in the millennial kingdom, and those children um, decide to uh, to not repent, and they, they go with Satan and the demons when they're released the last time, and they come against our Lord and Savior, and it doesn't last very long. Uh, but right now we're talking about prior to that final battle. So the glory cloud will remain in that temple. Uh, he has the power to put an end to sin, so it cannot exist again forever in his holy presence. So what you got to understand is our God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ for sinners. We know that's already happened. Thank you, Jesus, right? Anybody want to say thank you for that? Thank you, Jesus. In the future, see, Jesus has already completed this. So it's important to note this. In the future... God's wrath will be poured out on unrepentant sinners because of the rejection of Jesus. See, right now, you're, you and I are redeemed, so guess what? Judgment is not poured out on us because we're now protected. Picture God's judgment being a great tidal wave, okay? And a tidal wave is coming. You're like, oh, no, I'm, in the, I'm, I'm standing in the way of the tidal wave, and Jesus standing between you and the tidal wave. He takes it on his chest and never touches you. But unfortunately, see, he's already done that. So if you didn't take that protection, now God's wrath is coming out of these saucers, and as it's poured down, there's no Jesus to protect you from it if you've rejected him. So God's wrath was poured out on Jesus, but if you rejected Jesus, it's going to be poured out on you. And, and we see this taking place because of that rejection. By the time this comes, the warnings will have been plenty. Can, nobody can say, I didn't know. You know, I, I, I was reading, uh, like I say, having to go with uh, teaching Romans chapter 1 this past uh, Sunday. Of course, it, it's, it's basically like reading the headlines in, in our country right now. But as I was reading when he was listing all the horrible things that people are doing, even then, and they and they still do. These things kept jumping out at me. Look, look at um, 
Look at 18 in Romans chapter 1, if you want to turn over there with me. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Look at 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. And here comes the big line. So they are without excuse. 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals, talking about idols. And, and, and then it goes on to all this sexual sin and all these things that, uh, that, that people begin to do. And, and then look at 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, they gave them up to a debased mind to what ought not to be done. And you know, the biggest takeaway, as many times as I've read Romans chapter 1 and how it ties to today's lesson in here, the thing that was I saw written, and I can't remember who said it, but I thought this was the, 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 they pointed to what Paul is saying. So the rejection of God here, it's clear that the problem with this open, deliberate, perpetual sin and rebellion is not due to a lack of knowledge of God. It's not, it's not due to that. It's due to the refusal to acknowledge God. I love that. So it's not about a lack of knowledge. It's about deciding not to acknowledge God. I hear what you're saying, God. I hear all these things about you. I just ain't going to do it. I reject everything I know about you. And so now let's turn to 2 Peter 3, 9, and we'll be done today. So I'm going to get us out of here a little bit earlier today. All right, 2 Peter 3, 9. But I knew if we jumped into the 16, we weren't going to be able to go very far. So I wanted to go ahead and finish up 15 today since it was so short. So let's go to 2 Peter 3, 9. Remember, I just told you what Peter's doing here. This is his last letter that we hear from Peter before he's martyred. And he says in, in 3 9, and this is what we have to understand. This is also the character of God. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Because don't you hear this all the time? Y'all keep talking about Jesus is going to come back, keep talking about God's going to do all this. We well, ain't done it yet. He, it's been over 2,000 years. And, and, and what Peter's saying, you arrogant, foolish people, you're mocking the very kindness of God, and you're calling him slow. And you're saying, well, he ain't never going to do it, apparently. But Peter says, the Lord is not slow as you're claiming to fulfill his promise, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And you're making fun of his delay when his delay is an act of love. And you're mocking him. M O C K I N G. 
You're acting all arrogant about the very kindness he's showing you. God is slow to anger, thankfully. But that doesn't mean that the anger never comes. It does come. Because it has to. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the kindness of the message, uh, but also the kindness of the warning. Thank you, Lord, for for not uh, uh, leaving us uninformed. Thank you for trying so uh, diligently, Lord, to make sure that all of us have an opportunity. And, And then we have to think about ourselves and ask the question, why aren't we more diligent on making sure people know? You, act, you gave that assignment to us. You told us to, to be disciples and make disciples and to teach them all that you have commanded. We repent, Lord, of the times that we haven't taken the time to even be knowledgeable about all you have commanded. But, Lord, just as you prayed for those that uh, were sent to you and, and um, all of us who get the opportunities like this to shepherd people in, in larger groups, I'm so thankful for each and every person here. I'm so thankful for what these men have meant to me over the years and their devotion to coming and learning your word and us unpacking it together. Thank you for those who, who may be watching and listening all over the world, Lord, that, that today maybe is the day that you said something that they, this was the time they said, you know what, I got to stop putting this off. Today's the day I need to repent of my sins and leave faith in myself and place my faith in Christ. I celebrate that the last week uh, we had a man do that. I love the update that you gave me from him just a, a day ago that said he can tell that his, his spirit has been changed. He's already seen the evidence of your redemption in his life, and he says he'll never be the same. Thank you for just in allowing us to even know that because we do it whether we ever see those things or not because we do it because of our obedience to you. Lord, I pray if there's any others today that they too, their hearts will be pierced and they'll cry out to you and, and repent of their sins. If, if you've done that or you're someone who would like to know more about that, you can always reach me, uh, rick at burgessministries.com. Thank you, Lord. May you be glorified, not embarrassed by the way those of us who claim to be redeemed live out that redemption. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for being with us.